Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us. We finally made it to the end of the week here on the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy news for conservatives today. And Jim, one of the things that's frustrated me, it's probably frustrated a lot of people, is the fact that there's not been much focus by our government, it would seem, uh, as well as the media, on therapeutics for COVID uh, as opposed to uh, the vaccine. We've got big fights going on now about natural immunity, but you know we've had the wars over hydroxychloroquine and more recently ivermectin and whether those could be helpful and all that stuff. Monoclonal antibodies uh, seem to be the one therapeutic that that does seem to be accepted, although there's been some politics being played about actually getting those distributed. But here's the good news this morning. This is from CNBC, but a lot of folks obviously reporting on this. Merck and Ridgeback Biotherapeutics said Friday they've developed a drug that reduces the risk of hospitalization or death by around 50% for patients with mild or moderate cases of COVID. The company's plan to seek emergency authorization for the antiviral COVID treatment after the medicine showed compelling results in clinical trials. The drug, molnupiravir, because they can never pick a real word, is administered orally and works by inhibiting the replication of the coronavirus inside the body. An interim analysis of a phase three study found that 7.3% of patients treated with molnupiravir were hospitalized within 29 days of the patients who received a placebo, 14.1% were hospitalized or died by day 29. So cuts the risk in half, roughly, Jim. So uh, this is good news. We've been looking for effective treatments. We've had a couple, but uh, this seems to be widely accepted as very good news. Greg, I will celebrate this good news in just a moment. But like you, I saw the name Molnupiravir. <laughs> and I thought, just once could a pharmaceutical company say, this is our amazing new drug, and we've decided to call it Stan. And oh, okay, okay. I, you know, you go to your doctor. I think I'm, I think Stan might be good to treat me with. Or oh, do I have any go go to your pharmacist? Uh, yeah, I have a prescription for Stan. You know, that, that'd be very useful to have a simple, one syllable, easy to remember, easy instead of doctor. Do you think I can get the molnupiravir? <laughs> you know, yeah. So, but it's like what they said they're going to rename the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine to these other, you know. Thalaparatadol or something. And it's like, no, we're calling it the Pfizer vaccine. That's what it is. So anyway, I'm thrilled to see this. This is really good, really useful. Um, the only dark lining to this silver cloud is, you know, uh, Fauci's statement. The FDA will look at the data and in their usual, very efficient and effective way, will examine the data as quickly as they possibly can. And then they will take it from there. Uh, look, when you see results like this, Greg, I kind of want this thing like, I want to look up and see transport planes and like crates being parachuted out across the country. Is the illustration accurate that it's like a little orange pill? Uh, sure, maybe. I don't know. Okay, so yeah, that's what that's <laughs> the picture I've been seeing with this. I want big bowls of molnupiravir on the lunch on the counter on the, on the lobbies of everything. Just go in, just get a whole bunch, eat them all the time. Okay, don't do this with prescription drugs, people. I'm kidding. Obviously, if this is effective as it seems, you would like this to get far and wide to as many people as possible, as quickly as possible, because we are still seeing people dying from this uh, pandemic. Yes, it's you know largely a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Yes, the people who are vaccinated very rarely end up in the hospital, but not completely unentirely. There, there are a couple of cases it does. I think it's safe to say that the older you are, the more immunocompromised you are, the more that COVID-19 could mess you up, even if you've had the vaccine 
Um, so look, we, you know, let's get Molnupiravir out as quickly as possible. Um, and the past performance of the FDA has me, you know, wondering, because mm, as far as I know, the vaccinations for kids under 11 still coming, quote, midwinter, unquote. And that, you know, just seems like an astonishingly more, you know, two years after the, after the uh, pandemic began, we, you know, and more than a year after the, uh, the first vaccinations went into adults, it's taking this long to get anything into uh, kids who are uh, still at risk and who, you know, obviously parents would like to see them get as protected as possible. No, this is excellent news. But uh, going back to our name frustration, you know, at some point, uh, you know, a company came to the FDA with the uh, name Advil. You know, they're not a sponsor, but uh, that's not a real word either. But it's at least something you can pronounce. Yeah, two syllables, <laughs> nice and easy. But you know who might need uh, Molnupiravir, although he's probably, I know he's fully vaxxed and you uh, could probably get the monoclonals, is uh, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Now, liberal Twitter, of course, is cheering for COVID in this case, but uh, I, I think that he's probably going to be okay. He's, again, been vaxxed, and I'm sure he's got access to uh, other therapeutics right now if he needs to. But uh, the left's reaction to this is not exactly what you would call healthy. So maybe we can get a medication for that, too. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, other good news, and that is the fact that Omaha steaks are available. I can't tell you how it's going to affect your immune system, but it will affect your taste buds in a delightful way. I love Omaha steaks. Uh, every time I've had Omaha steaks, they're fantastic. I've talked about the bacon-wrapped filet mignon, but I also absolutely love their burgers. They're filet mignon burgers, and you're getting a dozen of them free. I, I mean, it's pretty hard to get a better deal than that. So what you want to do is get a jump on planning with easy, quality, delicious meals for busy work nights, school nights. They make it so easy for you. They send it to you, you freeze it, you take it out of the freezer, you cook it, and it's absolutely delicious. What you want to do is go to omahasteaks.com and enter the code MARTINI into the search bar and order the deluxe grill-out assortment. It includes over 30 entrees that you can share with your family. I mentioned my favorites, the bacon wrap uh, filet mignon, but uh, you also have the burgers. You can save over 50% and you'll get 12 free burgers. But they've also got boneless chicken breast, boneless pork chops, Gourmet Jumbo Franks, all beef meatballs, sides, and desserts. Visit omahasteaks.com, keyword martini. Save over 50% when you order the deluxe grill-out assortment. Plus, get 12 free Omaha Steaks burgers and keep making those memories with the ones you love. That's omahasteaks.com, keyword martini. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now, which is the always evolving story of whether the Democrats are going to be able to pass what they want to pass on Capitol Hill. As of right now, the impasse is still in place because Nancy Pelosi, who's really good at head counting and arm twisting, normally thought she was going to get a vote on the infrastructure bill on the House side yesterday. But that's only going to happen if there apparently is an agreement on the reconciliation bill, which does not exist. The progressives uh, versus Joe Manchin appears to still be pretty intractable. And one of the things we've been told by our media and others over the last several weeks is that the progressives, of course, are the principled ones in the media's opinion here because they want that agenda too. Uh, it's They're frustrated because Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema over in the Senate, they haven't even said what they want. Until yesterday, when we found out that in July, Joe Manchin had told Chuck Schumer exactly what he wanted and considered acceptable in a piece of legislation. July 28th, to be precise, uh, Manchin saying his top line was $1.5 trillion instead of $3.5 trillion. Uh, he wanted uh, funds in the new legislation to not be disbursed until all funding from 
COVID legislation and uh, other legislation has been spent and uh, the Federal Reserve has to end quantitative easing. He also had uh, provisions in place for the energy industry. He had uh, top lines also for tax rates, including 25% corporate tax rate, 396 for top uh, regular income, 28% for capital gains. Jim, there's a lot in here that he wants that we wouldn't like either, but it's closer to what we want than what the uh, the progressives want. And so it's just bizarre here. The good news is they still obviously don't have a deal or the House would have passed the infrastructure bill. But the fact that Manchin has been portrayed as this guy who won't tell anybody what he wants, it's been alive for over two months. And, and this was not a obscure complaint from progressives or even by the way, from, from Democratic leadership in the House. I mean, you could find plenty of cases where uh, it wasn't just the Roe Connors of the world who's part of the, you know, the House Progressive Caucus, but even, you know, comments from Pelosi would suggest, oh, they won't give us a number. They won't give us a number. Joe Biden was in the White House meeting with Manchin and he said, just give me a number. Well, it turns out Manchin had a number all along. And while, you know, Manchin and Cinema are, are not the same person, they seem to be aligned a great deal. And a deal that was acceptable to Joe Manchin would probably have a decent shot at being accepted by Kirsten Sinema. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe she'd be the, the one holdout. But, you know, my guess is it would be more likely to get her support than anything the progressives are putting on the table. And this whole time, Schumer knew that Manchin had put a number out and he just didn't feel like telling anyone. So he saw this, this you know, narrative forming. Joe Manchin won't give a number. It was a lie. He knew it was a lie. And at any point, if he, you know, uh, he could have said it to the press on the record. He could have said off the record, like, no, no, Manchin and I have talked. And he's given me a clear sense of where his red line is, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. And in fact, it was a very detailed proposal. As you know, Politico noted, that's more information and more specifics about what he wants to see and what he won't accept than most ranked file Democrats. So you can't say Manchin is, you know, making bad faith negotiations or he's being vague or he refuses to get to yes. No, no, he laid it all out there. And Jack Schumer chose not to, to share this with anybody. Now, I noticed that we haven't seen Joe Manchin come out and say that SOB Chuck Schumer, you know, you didn't seem all that bad. Although keep in mind, it is possible that either Manchin or Manchin staff leaked it to Politico. In fact, I, that's the direction I would, uh, I think is most likely. You know, Joe Manchin clearly is a guy who doesn't really care what progressives are saying about him, doesn't really care if progressives are, you know, are denouncing him as a corporate Democrat or, you know, cold state baron, you know, profiteer and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, Joe Manchin, you know, I think, it's pretty clear, I think it's pretty clear he likes being in the catbird seat, so to speak. He knows that he is the guy who, you know, effectively can sink or uh, ensure the passage of any legislation. When you have 50 seats, that's just about everybody. But that he basically, you know, has a de facto veto over this. He, you know, when you throw cinema in the mix, then there's two of them. By the way, Cinnamon is the name somebody said we should be referring to, to cinema and mansion. And I think it's much better than, you know, Manchima, which I've seen thrown around on Twitter. It's <laughs> like Cinnamon, we know exactly what we like, you know. Um, and uh, so you have, I, I don't think Manchin is furious about this, but I do think it reached a point where he was fed up with the perception that he was being vague and, uh, unspecific on what he actually wanted to see here. Now, the, the thing that kind of jumps out at me, Greg, is that like if you were a Democrat and you found out that, oh my goodness, this West Virginia Democrat, who, by the way, we have no chance of ever defeating in a primary. We have no chance of defeating, you know, replacing with a more liberal uh, senator from West Virginia. He wants to spend only $1.5 on building back better and 
the separate 1.2 trillion on bipartisan infrastructure framework. You know, 2.7 trillion in new spending, that ain't nothing, right? If you're a Democrat, I would take that, I would take that win, I would go, it'd be one of the biggest bursts of spending in all these areas for in many years, that's a huge win. But the Bernie Sanders of the world aren't, you know, uh, aren't, aren't pleased with it. The AOCs of the world think it's, oh, you know. And by the way, this is where he put his threshold. He couldn't guarantee he would vote for stuff past that. My colleague, Phil Klein, has a terrific post where he basically says Joe Manchin's pose as a defender of uh, fiscal conservatism and, you know, being careful about the debt and the deficit. It's a little more image than substance. But clearly, it's, it's conceivable that Manchin will go above $1.5 trillion you know, I don't know if it's two, I don't know if it's two point trillion, he'll go a little bit above it. He'll see it as a compromise and this whole thing gets done and we have something, you know, close to like three trillion in new spending and you and I are not particularly pleased by this. But in Manchin's mind, he's been, oh, he's already established himself as the most conservative Democrat on Capitol Hill. The guy who stopped the progressives from getting everything they want. He's probably very happy there, uh, particularly if enough of the money is spent in the state of West Virginia. Um, the entire dynamic, but so the, the, the weird thing here is that like Chuck Schumer has known what Manchin's red line was all along, and he's let this entire process go on for weeks without ever telling anyone or acknowledging, yeah, this is where Manchin's going to be. It's kind of baffling. Chuck Schumer is a really, like, I think Nancy Pelosi has the worst hyped performance ratio of any leader on Capitol Hill, but I think Chuck Schumer really is not that good a leader because he really should have spent much of this past year saying to the progressives, look, we only have 50 votes. Anything we pass, we've got a bunch of purple state Democrats who are up for re-election. Um, you know, Maggie Hassan may not want to complain about it, but she's nervous. Mark Kelly may not want to complain about it, but he's nervous. There are a bunch of other ones, you know, both of them in Georgia, like, or, or at least uh, Warnock in Georgia, although clearly he doesn't seem to be worried about, you know, being part of the left. Um, but in other words, like, you know, I, we can't give you everything you want. We've got to, you know, uh, do something that can get all 50 votes. And that's just the fact, that's the state of things. And the funny thing is, you think back to January, Everybody who watched Capitol Hill is like, well, okay, you know, Biden is the president, but Joe Manchin and Susan Collins basically decide what gets done. You know, Joe Manchin was the most conservative Democrat. Susan Collins was arguably the most liberal uh, Republican. Maybe you could throw in Lisa Murkowski in there. And they, you know, were the ones who would decide whether there'd be any bipartisan deals. And if both of them liked it, there was a great chance it was going to become law. If neither one of them liked it, there was almost no chance it was going to become law. Welcome to the reality of a 50-50 Senate. And somewhere between January and October, the Democrats, progressive Democrats just either forgot about it or just chose not to believe that. And now um, uh, Bernie Sanders had this ludicrous tweet where he said, it is not fair that two senators are blocking the will of 48 others. Greg, how many senators are in the Senate? A hundred. Really? Okay. Because, you know, Sanders, I mean, he's getting up there. Maybe he can't count. It's one, two, three houses that you own. And then you go all the way up to a hundred to count to all the senators. <laughs> Republicans don't count when they're not in the uh, majority. So, yes. Uh, when they're Sand- in the minority of 50. Sanders Sanders has uh, has joined Robert Reich with the uh, the 52 should not be have more power than 48 in the U.S. Senate, which is amazing. But, you know, we talked about yesterday how we're reluctant to put Joe Manchin in the good martini, which we did yesterday. Uh, but we talked about this, you know, scathing letter that he wrote. And one of the things he mentioned is that he still held to the need for a strategic pause to see what was going to happen with inflation, to know what could happen with this legislation. And all of a sudden, the pressure ratchets up and Joe Manchin is uh, actively uh, engaging in, in what could end up being a deal here fairly soon. I don't know if that's going to happen as, as soon as I fear it is. But, uh, you know, a strategic pause to see if inflation is going to be a long term problem doesn't strike me as a two day pause. But yeah, uh, let me also observe literally as we were having this conversation. 
I am seeing a tweet from Jonathan Allen. Who's he with these days? Uh, NBC News. He's been you know covering Capitol Hill for a very long time. Senator Kirsten Sinema left Washington D.C. earlier today. Greg, I don't think the Senate's passing anything anytime soon. All right. Well, that that should that should fix it for the week at least. Uh... That, that makes me feel good. But uh, the other thing, the last thing I'm going to say on this one, Jim, you notice who the media thinks are the bad guys here? Because you've got the progressives who won't pass the infrastructure bill, which was bipartisan. I still don't like it, but it was bipartisan. Uh, and then you've got Cinema uh, and Manchin who are standing in the way of the massive reconciliation bill. Who's getting all the heat? Cinema and Manchin are being unreasonable because they're not giving the progressives what they want. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Just uh, how how unbalanced the coverage is. All right. Let's talk about uh, something uh, better than that. And that is uh, Nutrafol. We talked about him yesterday. Let's talk about him again. Uh, Once again, Jim and I are blessed with uh, healthy hair, but a lot of folks, uh, you know, something to struggle with. So when it comes to thinning hair, you no longer have to choose between natural remedies and those that actually work. That's because there's a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness that does not include drugs or prescriptions. Did you know that there are five root causes for thinning hair? Nutrafol is the hair supplement that goes beyond genetics to target stress, hormones, nutrition, metabolism, and environmental factors that may be impacting your hair. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage and without compromise. There are 21 potent natural ingredients that support better sleep and less stress as well. In the clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three months and six months. Nutrafol is also trusted and recommended by more than 1,500 top doctors. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support the Three Martini Lunch by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code MARTINI to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every single order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code MARTINI. All right, Jim, let's move on to our crazy martini now, and it's kind of double-fisted here. The education secretary for the Biden administration is a guy named Miguel Cardona, and he was recently interviewed by Business Insider while he was on a trip to Indiana. And here's how that report goes. Asked about riotous school board meetings with citizens criticizing mask and vaccine mandates and asking questions about critical race theory and diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, Cardona offered a candid response, quote, I think it's a proxy for being mad that their guy didn't win, Cardona told me, meaning the reporter. He conceded that it wasn't entirely different from what happened in 2010 amid the birth of the Tea Party with the Obama administration's support for Common Core, a set of widely embraced K-12 education standards in math and language arts that Tea Partiers assailed at similar local meetings. Quote, it looks like education is becoming in some places a battleground for ideological differences, Cardona said. Well, that might be because you're injecting ideology into education all over the place. And so, uh, you know, this comes on the heels of Terry McAuliffe saying parents have no business telling school boards what to do with their curriculum this week. Uh, Earlier this week, Indiana Senator Mike Braun brought up that quote to Secretary Cardona at a Senate hearing and Cardona tap, tap, tap danced all over the place. I know you probably didn't mean that, and I'll give you a chance to retract it. Uh, Is that something you'd want to take back? I know that across the country, our school board meetings are uh, a little bit more uh, intense, but I'll tell you, 
School boards are unwavering in their support for returning students to school and providing a safe learning environment. For what school. about the statement? And I agree with you 100% there. Would you want to take that back to not politicize something where I think it's an honest, sincere difference of opinion across the country? And I don't know that I'd want to be on record with that. Senator, I, I'll tell you the, the lack of civility in some of our meetings is disappointing and frustrating, especially because our superintendents and educators and board members, and you should know you're a board member, they've worked tirelessly over the last 18 months to provide a safe environment. For and I know it can get rowdy and um, I'll take it that you don't want to retract it at this point. Jim, this also comes along uh, the lines that we saw yesterday. This was in Education Week online. In a a Wednesday letter to President Joe Biden, the National School Boards Association is asking the federal government to review violence and threats involving schools to see if they violate federal statutes about domestic terrorism and hate crimes. And so, Jim, I'm guessing you and I wouldn't endorse all the tactics we've seen at school board meetings. Things have certainly got out of hand, and that's maybe not conducive to actually getting what you want a lot of the time. But parents have real, legitimate concerns about whether schools are in person, whether they're virtual, whether there are masks, whether their kids need masks. Uh, Critical race theory, telling your kids, you know, depending on their race, whether they're victims or oppressors or whether they have to use certain pronouns. I mean, these are real concerns. We talked about the library books in Fairfax earlier this week. And to say that parents are only upset because their preferred presidential candidate lost uh, is a, a, a major bit of changing the subject here. Yeah, Greg, I'll applaud it over at Hot Air really kind of succinctly pointed out this. He said, look, your Cardona is confusing cause and effect. These voters are not against mandates and critical race theory because they're Trump voters. They're Trump voters because they're against mandates and critical race theory. Like it's, yeah. it's you know, that that's how that works is they come to the position and then they go to the candidate who agrees with them. It's not that they follow the candidate and the candidate has this and they decide to that. Um, if Trump had loved critical race theory and, uh, you know, vaccine mandates and mask mandates and all that kind of stuff, would some of them have jumped on board? I'm, yeah, you know, maybe some of them would have, but I don't have significant numbers. Remember when Trump come out and told people to get in, in, uh, vaccinated at his rally a couple of weeks ago, people started booing. Yeah, so, you know, he, you know, he, 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 when he tries to lead them in a direction they don't want to go, they generally let him know, and he recognizes it. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't really go down that road too much further. Um, look, I'm not surprised that Cardona is, uh, you know, demonstrating and, you know, arrogance and contempt. And, you know, all of that, the, uh, the aspect I, I really would like, not just Cardona, but everybody, everybody from the top P officials of the Department of Education down to the you know, superintendents, principals, teachers recognize you've lost a lot of trust in the last two years. Right? If you asked Americans in late 2019, what do you think your kid's teacher? What do you think your kid's principal? What do you think your local superintendent? What do you think of your state to a secretary of education? And what do you think of the you know, federal department? They'd probably be fine. Most people don't spend a lot of time fuming about these sort of things. And then the schools shut down for the better part of a year in a big chunk of the country. Some schools went back for earlier than others. Some schools stayed out for the entirety of the school year. Um, and now, there, by the way, there are some schools that are, are closing down at the, you know, with the presence of too many cases, even right now. We've seen an enormous setback to our children's education. And the teachers' unions were seen as a major impediment to all this. They were the ones who insisted that they get vaccinated first, which is somewhat reasonable after your you know, first responders and senior citizens and immunocompromised and groups like that. But then, yeah, right up in New- right now in New York State, they're fighting a court case against a vaccine mandate. So mm-hmm. they had to get them, they had to get access to the vaccines first, but the ones who didn't, no, no, we can't deal with them. Parents feel betrayed. Parents feel like they can't trust educators anymore. So 
before you get into, oh, we want to teach kids about critical race theory. We want to teach them about all the uh, ter- tragedies and horrors and shame in American history. Before you want to say, oh, we've got some really awesome sex education stuff in here. It's going to be, it's, it's like the sort of thing you would have found from the village people back in the 1970s. This is, you know, you name it. It's, you know, of course, people are going to freak out about that. And here's a crazy idea. How about we get reading, writing, and arithmetic done? And then we work on to the crazy controversial stuff. Because you guys are flunking. Actually, the kids are flunking, but you are flunking your duty to teach them all the important stuff before we get into these much more controversial matters. Now, teach kids why it's good to be American, and then you can get into uh, all the times we've set down. But if, if, like, unless your purpose of life is to make people ashamed to be Americans, which at least once a day on the liberals of TikTok, you know, uh, Instagram account or on Twitter, you see um, there are plenty of teachers who do hate this country, who do believe their purpose is to indoctrinate kids. And you shouldn't be the least bit surprised when parents get up in arms about that. Rethink what your job is. Reconsider if you really are taking care of job one. Because for the last two years, teachers and a whole bunch of teachers unions and a whole bunch of uh, educators have not done that. And all Secretary Cardona is doing right now is pouring more gasoline on the fire. Jim, we talked about popcorn yesterday uh, between the moderates and the and the progressives fighting over these two bills in Washington. What about the popcorn that we're going to be popping soon in New York, where you've got Black Lives Matter and the teachers union tangling with Kathy Hochul and Bill de Blasio over these vaccine mandates? That is quite a set of, uh, of litigants going on right there. I want this in HD. I want this in 4K. I want to see every minute of it. And I hope to make lots of sequels. <laughs> Uh, it could be a lot of fun. Anyway, Jim, enjoy the weekend. We needed a good laugh to end it all. See you Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Please tell your friends about us as well. We'd love to have them come along for the ride each day. Uh, we are very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast and follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend. And please join us on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next.